If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Matthew 4? Matthew chapter 4. So the, the series of messages we are beginning today, it's called You Are Here. You are here. And, and it really, you is in, in the plural. And that we all as a congregation are here. And one of the things that I feel like would be really, really helpful for us is to evaluate over the next few weeks, like where, where are we as a church? Here we are. And is there some reference point, some place we can compare ourselves? Like, are we where we need to be? Are there places where we can grow? Are there areas where God wants to, to change us, to make us more like Jesus Christ, make us more like the church he wants us to be? Are, are there places of comparison? So I get, I get magazines as a pastor, you kind of get the, the industry magazines. And so some of those I get are like the, the fastest, you know, growing churches, the top 50 best churches in, in the world and in the universe. So yeah, it's, so you get those in, and they're meant to say, here's what this church is doing. And, and in some ways I think could function as a comparison, but is that the right comparison? How do, how do you as a church, how do we as Ogletown compare ourselves? And really assess where we are. There's something in a lot of industries called a benchmark. And a benchmark is a standard or a point of reference against which things can be compared or assessed. So at church, what is our benchmark? Where we can gauge what's going on here and say, is that what should be going on? And for our purposes this morning, I'd like for us, I'd like for us to look at Two different places in scripture. I'd like for us to go through several portions of Matthew. So we're going to be looking at several different places in Matthew and a couple different places in Acts. Because in Matthew, we, our, our benchmark will be Jesus and what he said. It seems like a great place to start, doesn't it? I mean, maybe, maybe that's too obvious, but it seems like what Jesus said about the church ought to really inform whether we're being, whether we understand ourselves as successful or not. And then I think we can also turn over to Acts and see a church, a some of the first followers of Jesus and assess there, are, are we faithfully following what the early church looked like? And then I, I want to make some comparison and application to Ogletown. So if you have Matthew chapter 4, our, our first kind of point of reference will be what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. Can we read it? So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the, into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people. Immediately they left their notes, their nets and, and followed him. I'm looking at my notes, and I don't want to leave those notes. They left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. It's kind of ground zero of understanding what the church is supposed to be, what the church is. Kind of the baseline is Jesus initiating a call for people to follow him. So it's a lot more than that, but it's never less than that. It's, it's a group of people that are, have, been, have heard this voice of Jesus initiating a call to follow him. And, and as they follow him, this didn't just happen one time. 
And actually, you go through the New Testament, it happens multiple times. There are regular invitations on the part of Jesus to say, come and follow me. So you go, you can turn over uh, several verses here in Matthew chapter 9. So if you're following along, Matthew chapter 9, it should be on the screen as well. So this is deeper into Matthew, the account of Jesus' life. And Matthew writes these things. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. So he's writing his own story, isn't he here? He's writing, I mean, imagine that. He's writing the story of how his life intersected with Jesus Christ. And he says this, Jesus saw a man himself sitting at the tax booth and Jesus said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So it wasn't just like the, the first four. It was a, a growing group of followers. And that invitation actually extended pretty wide because you read just a couple of chapters over in Matthew 11. Jesus, Jesus said this, come to me all, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in art and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you notice can just track with the progression there. Jesus starts with calling some to follow him. And that group is expanding. It's not just, and it's not just for like the, the super religious. I mean, fishermen are called, tax collectors are called. And they, they become followers. But, but notice as we go deeper, he, he extends the invitation to all those who are weary. All those whose life has just kind of gotten the better of you. Has stressed you out. Has, has, has pushed you down. He says, you come follow me and I will give you rest. A group of people now are gathering together to follow Jesus. And then those followers of Jesus become a family, a growing family. So part of following Jesus will mean you, you're doing it with other people. I love what Matthew 12 says. So Matthew 12 and verse 48, Jesus replied to this man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, Jesus said, this is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. You can't miss the family significance. So what we have here is this, this family, this group of people are, are listening to Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're obeying the will of the father that Jesus is communicating to them. That's what the church is. And the rest of the scripture is going to use this family language. And we use it around here because it's, we recognize this is family not so much by biology and DNA, but like theology and spiritual DNA. We, we're, we're not kind of like a family. We are a family because of what Jesus has done. And so Jesus said, this is the way I refer to people as brother and sister. And, and that's what we do as well. And that's the way scripture records it because we recognize we share something in common. Something actually that will endure beyond our, our earthly DNA, and that's, that's eternity. That's a group of people, but it's not just a group. It's a group that's become a family. And that family says some things about who Jesus is. If you, if you even go further into Matthew, and once again, we're just hitting points in Matthew to see, like, where did it start? And what is it meant to be? We're finding some benchmarks here, some things to compare. Jesus calls his family of followers a church, so 
Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven is the one who's revealed this kind of confession to you. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, lots could be said about that verse, and lots has been said and and written about that, that verse. But if we kind of try to understand at a basic level what's going on, Peter is a follower of Jesus, and he's made a confession about Jesus. He says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one promised. You're the one promised to rule and reign over the world. You're the Christ. And and Jesus says, based on that profession, so we have a person who's a follower of Jesus making that profession, and Jesus says, on that, on the person and the profession, on that, I build my church. Gates of hell don't prevail. So you've got a group of followers that that have become family, making this profession about who Jesus is. And Jesus begins to teach about a church, which is just a pretty ordinary word for gathering or assembly, even in later portions of Matthew. So it's not up on the screen, but if you just look to the end of Matthew 16, Jesus will say, following is not easy. So the end of Matthew 16, he'll say, you take up your cross and you deny yourself and you follow me. And that won't be easy. But when you come to the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus gives a mission to this family of followers to make other followers. So look at this, Matthew 28. This is like the end of the book. So we've, we've started off with Jesus and no followers. He initiates calls and, and people like you and I start following him. And then he brings those followers together as a, as a, a group. And he says, your family now, your family. And then he, he calls that family a church, a gathering, an assembly. And And then they make this profession that he is Lord. And then Matthew 28, he sends them out. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So you go and make disciples or learners or students or other followers. You help other people follow me. And you do that of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey, observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission. So the church was never meant to be stagnant. It never was meant to be like a a closed off environment, like we got enough people. Maybe there's another place you could go. Maybe there's another savior you could follow that that might work for you. But the church is always like open doors, welcoming those coming in because Jesus said, go and make more followers. The church would not be a club that you're a part of, a status of society you have. We can make it a lot more complicated. Let's just simplify it. Jesus says, you follow me and you help others follow me. That's, that's what it is. So putting it all together, the church is meant to be a growing family who follows Jesus and helps others follow Jesus. The church is meant to be A growing family. And and every one of these words are important. We're a family. We have that special bond. And and we're growing, hopefully numerically. but, But if God's present, we're growing spiritually all the time. We're growing to look more and more like him. We follow Jesus. 
We help others follow Jesus. You notice it's Jesus at the center. We're not following a religion. We're following a person. So we take that point of reference. This is exactly what Jesus intended. This is what he left us. And he promised he would build that. He would build his church. This growing family who follows Jesus helps others follow Jesus. So can we, can we turn over about, it's probably four books to the book of Acts. And go to Acts chapter 11. See, this is what's interesting. If Matthew is like the account of Jesus' life, while he walked on this earth, Acts is the account after he goes to heaven, he's still at work. He's not done with his church. He's still working in his church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to kind of dial in what, what would the earliest followers of Jesus, what would they think about what Jesus had just told them to do? What would they do? How would they respond after Jesus went to be with his father? Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We have a group of followers Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So here they're martyrs. Stephen was a martyr and Christians are being persecuted in that area of the world. Much like they're being persecuted in that area of the world still today. And and they're getting displaced. They're they're becoming refugees. But even as they're displaced, they they don't leave their religion behind. I mean, they... They've had an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's inside of them, so they, they take that with them. They, they take who they are with them. And it says these ones who are scattered, they travel. They travel from Jerusalem as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And Antioch at that time was in kind of northern Syria. They speak the word to no one except Jews. But there were some. It's amazing to me they're nameless. We don't even know their name. I guess we'll meet him in heaven. Go, you were the one that this was talking about. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. That's, Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean and Cyrene's a, a place in North Africa. When they came to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists also. So they didn't just speak to Jews. They also spoke to those that were Greek speakers, the Hellenists. And they preached the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch to see what was going on. And, and listen to what it says in verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A, a great many people were added to the Lord. And Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church. And they taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Make a note of that. They were first called Christians. We go on to a couple chapters later in Acts 13. I know we're looking at lots of scripture. I want you to see kind of the storyline of how this how the church came to be because I mean here we are with with a, a, a full room and lots of people and lots of years of church history but how did it all start in Acts 13 now there were in this church at Antioch prophets and teachers there's Barnabas Simeon who, who was called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul while well, they were worshipping the Lord fasting 
the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. I've got work that I've called them to do. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Solution. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, a lot to process. Just kind of, we kind of get this benchmark that's in Antioch, this church, that I think God wants us to learn from. They were speaking the word. They were speaking it across culturally accepted barriers. So they, remember, they don't just stop at the Jews. They say, everyone should hear this. We're to make disciples of all nations. And so they cross geographical boundaries and they cross cultural boundaries. They said there's, there's no one who shouldn't hear about Jesus. And so they, they preach the word to them. They speak the word to them. And this becomes a diverse environment. And likely you do have Jews and you have the Hellenists and you have people from Cyprus and people from North Africa. This becomes a diverse body and the hand of the Lord is with them. There's a great number who believe and, and Barnabas comes. We just read about him. Barnabas comes and it says in verse 23, when he saw the grace of the Lord. Like, so I, I have a question when I read that, like, how do you see grace? I know I felt it. I know I've experienced it. It says Barnabas saw it. Then he asks, like, what did he see? So he sees this multicultural group have this allegiance to Jesus. He sees them sacrificially giving later on in Acts chapter 11. He sees great numbers of people turning to the Lord, a true conversion. It's always a miracle. And he says, God's in this place. God's doing something here. And this isn't something where, you know, 2,000 people walk an aisle, pray a prayer, sign a card, and then they're done, like a quick convert kind of thing. Everybody all on the Jesus team, we're all on the Jesus team, good for you. It actually says he encourages them to remain faithful to the Lord. This is like you started a good work, but God's going to finish it. And he says this isn't, like the mission isn't to make quick converts, it's to make disciples who will walk with Jesus for a long time. And that's what Paul and Barnabas pour their life into. They teach. And then, then they get this designation in Antioch. First place it happens, right? First place they're called Christians. And like at that time, Christians doesn't mean like a, a powerful voting block or a demographic to do studies on. Well, Christian is almost an insult. There's the little Christ. Whoever Christ is, they're the little Christ. But what I notice is they're living so distinct in their lives they have to have a, a new category for who is, oh, they're, they follow Christ, they're little Christ, they're, they're Christians. They make such a difference in the world where they are. As we walk through the rest of Acts, they have this vision for the world. I, don't, I wonder if they ever thought Antioch is going to be the place where the church is really launched in Asia and in Europe and in Africa. The church is going to be launched from this missionary hub. It's an amazing thing. If we go back to our definition, we see the church at Antioch is a growing family who follows Jesus, helps others follow Jesus. So there's our reference points. What about Ogletown? So we've got what Jesus had in mind. And we've got the church at Antioch. But what about Ogletown in Newark? And you know, God has been so good to our church. For many of us, 
that means that long before we ever came to this church, God has been good to this church family. Most, most of you probably know our, our church started in, in a little house not far from here. And now we have a campus. We were a neighborhood church, so that's why it's Ogletown. This area is a neighborhood church, and now people from four states drive to make this their church home. We were a, a mission church, a small mission church, and now we're an established church in this area. The beginning days of Ogletown, lots of people looked a lot like each other, and now it's, it's very, very different. It's multi-ethnic and multiracial, and every time we worship together, we get a glimpse into heaven because nations are coming together singing the praise of the Lord. Every time we, we care for kids in preschool, nations are coming together and they're singing, Jesus loves me. I mean, this is, a, this is a taste of heaven. What do we look like compared to what Jesus said in, in the church at Antioch? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we're becoming this church that Ogletown is more than just the, the church you attend. It's the, the family we belong to. Like, what, what does that mean for us? And what if, God, what if God had designs for this season of your life, of my life, to be a part of something special, something bigger than any one of us, bigger than one person, bigger than a group, but, but all of us is this family who follows Jesus, who is passionate about helping others follow Jesus. What if we were a part of something that could reach the world and could last for eternity? Sometimes that seems like grand and big and nice slogans, but not reality. But then I I think about that and I think what we're doing can impact the world. When we make a disciple of Jesus, that lasts for eternity. It's not impossible. As we are this growing family, what are some ways that take shape? What does that look like? Just had some things on my heart over the last few weeks and and really the last few months. I really see the Lord doing a couple great things. And and I'm going to phrase them in the way of prayers. And and really the prayer is an invitation for you to join me in that prayer. Kind of what's been on my mind lately is when I see what God's doing, when I look at what Jesus gave and when I look at Antioch, I, I say, Lord, shape Ogletown into a strong, maturing church family. Shape us that way. So my kids enjoy taking clay and and molding it into exactly what they want. And I feel like that's what we're asking God to do. Not that this would be shaped like I want it, or you want it, but, but that God would take our church and he would shape us into this strong, maturing church family. And I say maturing because we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. And, and there are going to be people that are new to Christianity and, and new to everything else. And, and they're going to need time and space to mature. But we can, we can always be maturing to be more like Jesus. We've never arrived. What will that mean when we're a strong, a healthy, maturing church family? I think what that will look like is our passion to follow Jesus and to help other people follow Jesus. We'll just be regularly stirred. We'll be stirred to do this. We'll be motivated. We won't see ourselves as this disconnected group of consumers that all just happen to be in the same place on Sunday. It'll be more than that. We'll care about 
going deeper in the word and deeper in our relationships. When it comes time to gather as God's body to worship, we'll do that with all our hearts. We'll engage with those who don't know Jesus. We'll, we'll pray in a deep way. And as you, as you come to Ogletown, I pray that God would just deepen your commitment as you give to this church, as you volunteer. You are being used by God to build the church that he has in mind, to build this family of believers who follow Jesus, help others follow Jesus. I was looking out my window this morning. I saw people getting here 30 minutes early, 45 minutes early, ready to serve, ready to do behind the scenes, and nobody even knows who they are, what they're doing, but they're here. They're here to serve you. They're here because they love this church and they love what God is doing. I want to make a difference for those who call Ogletown home, especially those that made like the formal commitment to let us know, yeah, I'm, I'm here to stay. I, I'm, I'm part of the family. I'm a partner with you. I'm not just consuming the church. I'm a part of the family. I, I'm sensing responsibility to, for my walk with God, yes, but I, I want to help others follow Jesus. So our passion is that you know, we want to stir that. We also want to stir a passion to reach our neighbors so that they might follow Jesus. I think of the families, and God sent us a lot of families recently with children who have special needs. It's just so close to my heart. And I know so close to Pastor Evan's heart. And I think if Ogletown could be the church where, like, really we mean it. Anybody can come. And, and it requires more volunteers than ever. But if, if we could open our doors wide to those international students that come on a regular basis and, and they could know what it's like to, to see a Christian, to see someone who loves Jesus and a whole, whole family of Christians that love Jesus. What if we're that place where you could invite your coworker, your friend, or your neighbor? What if, what if we're that place where the young professional that I met a couple weeks ago, brand new to the area, doesn't know anybody? What if we're the place where he could make a couple connections that could help him follow Jesus? People are coming in and moving into this area and some of them have never been to church. Some of them never really encountered a church that was alive and real to them or they've been burned by a church. Don't you want to be a part of that? You see, Jesus said this, by this will all people know that you're my followers, by the love you have for each other. What if when people just even got in the doors, they recognized they seem to really like each other around here. They seem to enjoy each other's company. What if they saw that crossing generations? That's one of my prayers. Lord, would you just make us into a strong, mature church family? But I have another prayer, and that is, Lord, would you stir Ogletown to be ascending church family? Ascending church family. By sending, I, I know that people won't always be at Ogletown, and God has a design for some of them to come in and be built up by the strong church family that God has here and then be sent out. We're meant to be this growing family who follows Jesus and helps others follow Jesus. I, I love what a pastor in North Carolina, J.D. Greer, says. He said, you should measure a church not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Like, are we able to take those that God sends us 
and to launch them into ministry. In this way, we could be much like the church at Antioch who sent Barnabas and saw their best. They sent them away to help others follow Jesus. There will be many at our church that are only here for a short time. So think about that. I think about my friends like I saw in Indiana not too long ago, David and Kate, and I think about my friend Barnabas, and I think about Rick and Valerie, who God sent us a short time, and I think about Andy and Aubrey, who I I had the privilege of baptizing. I think of Paul, and I think of Lauren and Greg and Aaron and Craig and Mary and Carrie and Dan and Wanda and Ermine. And even recently, I think of Jared and Lauren, who were here for a short time, maybe even just about a year, and they had a job transfer. But I I stood right over there at the end of a service, and he said, the hardest thing about leaving Delaware is leaving this church family. And the next church we go to has, a, has something, a high standard to live, live up to because of what God's done in our life here, because of the Bible studies, because of the, the programs their kids got involved in. I think as much as it's bittersweet to say goodbye to them, I think that's what God can do with the church. God can send us people from all over and God can use us as a place to launch them. I grew up in a military environment, so I'm used to goodbyes. But there's some measure of success when we send people off closer to Christ than when they came. There's something worth doing that. We could send others in this area to church plants who need resources and leaders and a part of us goes with them even as they go. We pray that we send others to follow a missionary call and that may be, certainly maybe career or long-term, short-term, maybe for a couple months in the summer, a couple weeks. Think about so many that we've sent out and we we lay our hands on them to say, part of you is is going. Part of us is going with you. God, God bless you. We will pray for you. We will care for you. Some of you give. You can't go, but you give so that others can go. I think of those that are right now acquiring skills. They're engineers and medical professionals and accountants and marketers and those who major in international studies and And they're going to see their internships and experience and education as something that can be used by God around the world. And we're going to send them. We'll send others because we're raising up a generation from preschool to children to middle to high school and college students. So I'm just guessing, going out on a limb, that like everybody under 22 isn't going to stay in Newark their whole life. They may want to. We all want to, but maybe they won't. But I wonder, will their life be different for having been here? I think that's why I feel, feel so burdened with the college students that come. I, I want them to be involved because I, I know they're not all going to stay. I know we're pouring resources into students, many of which won't stay. But we do that without apology because we know we're going to send them to other places and they're going to be closer to the Lord, and they're going to know what a, a healthy church family could look like because of their investment and involvement, not from a distance, but right in the middle of it. And, and if we send some of our best away, then we're like the church at Antioch, and we say, we're, we, are, we are accomplishing our mission. God is using our church. So I pray, Lord, continue to cultivate our church family so that we look more and more like Jesus. Lord, keep sending us people. <laughs> that we play a role in their spiritual life, even if it's for a short time. And it really takes all of us doing our part. 
We can't send people if there's not this strong church family to begin with. So over the next few weeks, the next three Sundays, I want to share more about how each individual at Ogletown plays a role in this strong church family and this sending church family. Kind of start off today like, you are here, so what do we do? What do we do about that? I want to unpack that over the next few weeks. And, and so can, can I just leave you with like two points of, of, of follow-up that I, I want on your heart. I really want you to make it a priority to be here the next three weeks. If you can't be here, and I understand there's travel and sometimes there's work, you're not able to be here. Then catch it online, listen to the podcast or watch the video. I want you to hear our, our pastors as they share, this is what's on our heart. I don't want you to miss it. Even if you're saying like, I don't know, Ogletown's not my church home. I'm just kind of looking and trying to figure out where God wants me. Like you're at a great time to be at, at our church. You're a great time to evaluate. This may be the place for you. It may not be, but it may be. You're at a great time to hear this is what's core to our church. So I want to ask you to make this a priority. And then this morning, I, I, I want to ask for you to pray. I want you to join me in prayer that God would use us and motivate us and shape us, and humble us, and prune us, and encourage us, and inspire us to look more and more like Jesus. I, I, I know sometimes when we say pray, it kind of becomes church speak, and it becomes white, white noise, and like, oh yeah, we need to pray some more. But I, I want you to pray, because this is what I believe. I believe when, when we pray, God acts. When I, when I read Acts, and, and read the powerful powerful prayers, not just, not just the leaders praying, but like the whole church praying. I think God may do something that just blows our mind, that we would never have dreamed possible as a church family. He may increase our sending capacity more than we ever, ever thought possible. Would you join me in prayer? Would you make that a commitment? Would you write yourself a reminder? Put it in your phone. Do whatever you have to do to say, I'm going to pray that God would be at work in our church. I'm going to pray that as often as God brings it to mind. In a moment, we're going to sing. Let me, let me pray for us today. Before I pray, just thank you for letting me share my heart. Thank you for letting me serve this particular congregation and share my burden. Father, what a privilege it is. We could be a lot of other places, but we are... We get to be here seeing what you're doing. Thank you for the many, many people that are investing their time and their love and their energy into this church family. Lord, we have, a, we have such a desire to be a strong representation of Jesus in this area. We desire to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. Help us grow in that. Father, we desire to, to send people. The Lord, as you, as you entrust us with people, I pray that we would be an environment where disciples are made and where disciples are sent. And Lord, multiply our efforts. We're only one church in partnership with lots of other good churches, but for, for your purposes, for your kingdom designs, for our church, we pray that you would use us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.